Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. HTML Force Legacy. Yay. Yeah, you know, we are here to discuss sort of a bulk of season four, which kind of felt like a real turning point to me. I'm really excited. It's a really different show at this point. And I don't know if it's just that like Ahsoka is older and Anakin is real angrier, but I find myself more invested in the characters. I've got to be honest, though. I'm not sure that I am invested in some of the storytelling choices that they are starting to lean toward in season four i don't know whether they want to simply go for edgier storytelling or if they feel some sort of responsibility to show something more moralistic for a program that's about war but i'm starting to find some of the messages a little ham-handed I'm at least grateful that they're all in the right direction, though. There's no like, yeah, you know, let's let capitalism destroy human interests. Like, there's no let's treat slavery as something that might be okay. There is hard, fast moralism here, which has always kind of been a part of Star Wars. They like to pretend that things are a little bit more black and white than they are when, you know, everything is really shades of gray and that's kind of the problem. But I do feel like, especially by the end, they're sort of like, be good. Badness is bad. And it does get a little little after school especially for how mercilessly bloody it can be at times we're going to be making our way through a huge chunk of the clone wars list in this episode with entries 70 through 79 of the star wars chronological clone wars episode listing you know i was down at studio 54 last night hanging with andy warhol and gloria Gaynor, and we were just talking about watergate because it's the 70s oh i got it and um we all remembered what Woodstock, because that was late 60s. And the Bee Gees are popular. Also, Star Wars came out in the 70s. Yes, excellent point. Taxi. This is the second take, and you still forgot that Star Wars came out in the 70s. You know, I did genuinely forget that Star Wars came out in the 70s. It wasn't like I was doing a bit. I forgot that that's, yeah. So the first episode we'll be covering is 404, Season 4, Episode 4, Shadow Warrior, written by returning writer Daniel Arkin, who wrote The Heroes on Both Sides and Pursuit of Peace prequel episodes from season three and directed by brian kalen o'connell and just like (sighs) naboo is always in trouble there's so many planets in the galaxy naboo might want to like work on its defense system or get better spies i don't know what else to say because i do find that there's always a problem on naboo and it's always like a new problem naboo never runs out of and is it just that naboo is fun to say naboo 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 but like the plot of this episode is the gungans are flipping oh no and i just don't know what to do with that yeah we're introduced to a gungan character 
character named Rish Lu, who is, I guess, some kind of dark Gungan sorcerer, which I don't fully have a problem with. The subtitle of this season is Battle Lines, and I'm not sure I fully understand where Battle Lines comes from, and instead maybe feel like this season should have been labeled something having to do with um a lot of the bizarre force magic that we start to see this season. It's way more than just the Night Sisters. And I'm actually like really into it. I like that there was a reason to bring in Jar Jar. It was really a reward because they've developed him so well that I look forward to seeing him on the screen now. He's not the eye roll he once was. But if I did have a slight eye roll, I guess it's that I didn't love the psychic necklace. There is a device being used to mind control the Gungan King and it was given to him by his vizier, which by the way, it's all very marry the shrew. Like it's all very so, you know, Prince Jar Jar turns out to be merely Aladdin. And so they rip the necklace off of him and they're like, guards, guards. And the next thing you know, the Gungan turns into a genie. And thank God that necklace was glowing because I don't know how else they would have deduced that it was evil. I found it disappointing and I know we've harped on it here and there, but force grabbing and force pushing, it's all getting to be like a lot for me. I feel like half the time that's the way out of everything. It's a little bit too Sonic Screwdriver. And speaking of things that are starting to get a little bit contrived, we had another instance of Anakin and General Grievous not meeting face to face. Is this like the second or third time that they've been hostage exchanged next to each other and not technically met through that? Or am I just imagining that? I think they have really done some sort of Scooby-Doo running through parallel doors on more than one occasion. You could tell me that they were literally doing like back-to-back chef and I'd believe you. I liked seeing the Gungans as warriors. I liked seeing the scene of Jar Jar facing off against Grievous. I thought that was fun. But once the episode basically became about another situation where they had captured Grievous, but oh ho, by chance, they also captured a Jedi hostage and now we're going to exchange them or whatever. And it just, it, it, we know you're not going to keep Grievous. So especially the fact that you're not even trying to play out any kind of arc where maybe they had him as a hostage for an extended period. These single episode, we have him, we don't, we have him, we don't, are just getting repetitive and annoying. Seeing the king die was really disappointing. Jar Jar stepping in as King Leone was fun. Grievous seeing through it made sense. But okay, so then Talpin stabs the shit out of Grievous and they basically dismantle Grievous. And I thought that was crazy and awesome and severe. But it kind of reminded me how much the plot of this episode really wasn't about the Gungans. This episode was really about the threat of separatist danger invading areas that we thought would be fan favorite protected by the fact that fans love them. But I mean, what's the first thing they do to Leia's home planet? They blow it the fuck up. So we assume things are safe when they're really not. Another kind of dumb complaint I have is Dooku's kind of able to force Anakin into a trap too easily. And then force lightning was the way out of everything again. It's getting to be a little repetitive how often Dooku brings Anakin down and then just lets him go. What we have next is not really exactly an arc of two episodes, nor really even a two-parter, but two episodes that are definitely loosely related, starting first with Season 4, Episode 5, Mercy Mission, directed by new director Danny Keller, who will be working on the show ongoingly through Season 6, and written for the final time by Bonnie Mark, who returns from Season 3. There were things I liked about this episode. I certainly thought the writer made their Bonnie Mark on the 
Clone Wars franchise with this episode. I thought it was a fun episode, actually. Like, I really enjoyed these two droid back-to-back stories. I thought a lot of the visuals in this episode were terrific. The giant gold seal was a lot of fun. It looked a little bit like C-3PO. I really liked that. The big flowers were gorgeous. The fireflies were beautiful. Like, there was a lot to like in this episode, but the Sphinx-esque rhyme, okay. And it felt a little like this was an episode for the kids in some ways. Like, give the kids something to watch in a run of episodes. I could have used a little bit more adultness to this episode, but I do like what we got. I agree on at least some level with a lot of what you're saying. I think the little alien creatures were perhaps a bit too silly. I very much thought they were like Star Wars minions. And I'm frustrated by the direction to include a character and concept like Orphney in an episode like this where there aren't going to be any consequences. I had actually just been commenting to you that I felt like we haven't seen anything that is a sort of light side of the force equivalent of the things that we've been seeing like Rishlu from last episode like the Night Sisters. When asked about Orphne and her powers Dave Filoni said that certain aspects of her person such as her inhuman speed were just natural traits found in members of her species however her ability to disappear in a cloud of light was in fact a magical ability and likened her to a light side equivalent of the Night Sisters saying that although she's not a direct force user her powers did stem from the force and I am so fascinated by this creature but we're never gonna hear anything about her again probably I well or anything like her I mean and I don't know it's just I would I would really like to see concepts like this in ways that can actually affect the characters I agree especially because one of the tenets of like truly understanding the force is understanding balance so for a person to be like truly all good force they'd have to allow for some evil like inherently otherwise it's not the balance of the force and Orphney seems like the kind of character that understands that kind of chaotic neutral and lean good anyway and that is the kind of character I would have liked to have seen more of the riddle wasn't for me the idea that R2-D2 and C-3PO as droids would be able to help save these two separate factions of people because they don't breed I liked it it was a really kind of I mean it was a little bit on the nose like methane gas and don't frack and please give us those messages to kids I want them I want them everywhere. But yeah, this kind of does tie back into the ham-handed. I was a little bit thrown by the bizarrely prejudiced behavior by the clones towards the droids in this episode, especially because we are about to enter an arc that speaks heavily about prejudice against clones. So for them to all basically be so bitchy to the droids and one of them like basically pushes 3PO over and stuff and it was it, it was just a very, it made me uncomfortable. My last note on this episode to transition us into our next. In this episode's online episode guide, the title has the tagline, the droids are in trouble again, and in trouble again was the theme song to the Star Wars droids animated TV series. Nico had mentioned when we watched these episodes that he really felt like they had to, at least in some way, be some kind of homage or tribute to that era of Star Wars storytelling, and that at least indicates to me that someone else had the same feeling and I certainly did as well. It felt like a I don't know it was like Star Tours and the droid adventures and then there was like a tiny little hedonism bot and it was kind of Gulliver's Travelsy and there was Wizard of Oz. This was just a charming kind of romantic adventure for the droids and I you know I mean like 
romanticizing Star Wars as opposed to a romantic adventure for them personally. But there was just so much terrific imagery. It was the kind of attention that I really appreciate being paid to the minor characters that support the narrative. Something this show has focused on since the beginning is how important the minor characters can be to shaping the overall picture, whether it was in the Marvel Universe franchises or over an alien. We always talk about how the cast comes together to make the overall picture. The droids have been supporting every arc since the beginning, whether it's because it's the droids of the Separatist army or it's our droids. It was important to spend some time redeveloping the humanity of the mechanical side of the cast. Season 4, Episode 6, Nomad Droids, was directed by Stuart Lee, and I was not surprised to see was written by returning writers Stephen Mitchell and Craig Van Sickle, who had written the Season 3 droid flashback memory wipe episode, as well as its following episode, Hunt for Zero. But let's let's just focus on the, the fun droid episode instead, because that one was so much better, and this episode was really cute and fun, and I was really happy to see that all of the things that we thought were supposed to be Wizard of Oz references were in fact Wizard of Oz references. Nico had mentioned seeing parallels to Gulliver's Travels and that is in fact something that they were also going for. Something I didn't even realize until reading about it was that just as Gulliver was attacked by pirates as he leaves for his third adventure, the same thing happens to the droids in this. There's R2-D2 basically acting as the house smashing the Wicked Witch of the East. That was a choice. Whether it was installing tiny democracy in a tiny little nation or the Hondo-esque pirates showing up. This felt in so many ways like a proto format for the little adventures that would come to populate the YouTube channels, whether it's everything getting BB-8'd or it's the Star Wars kids adventures. I feel very much like this short, quick, meta-playful, referential burst storytelling very much came to dominate Disney's short-form digital releases in the last year or two. This episode also answered two burning questions that I have always had. First off, that R2 and 3PO can in fact power down. I have long wondered exactly how their operating systems work, whether they have some sort of internal battery or generator or whatever, and I don't know if it was just a choice for this episode, but I'm satisfied with the notion that they could potentially power down their creatures that need energy, just like humans. I also have to assume that this episode was an attempt to show even more what little side adventures 3PO and R2 get into behind the scenes. I made a comment when 3PO said something about being a protocol droid for some sort of galactic president of all these systems and I was like, when? But you know what? 3PO could have done that for like a week, but he would still talk about it as though he did it for 20 years. He'll probably talk about about that time that he installed democracy on that planet. And we saw that it happened because R2-D2 crushed someone to death. So, like... This really helps account for any time 3PO might say, oh, that time I did this, that time I did that. And we're like, no, you didn't. Yeah, he probably did. And, you know, because he's he's C-3PO and he's the eyes and ears of the universe. Like, there's that theory that this is all told through the droid's point of view. They are actually meant to be utilitary in all of these stories. I also really enjoyed Plo showing up and Wolf being like, uh, LOL, I don't know about these fucking droids and all this. This is, I'm not, I'm not thrilled. And everyone 
Cameron is just sort of like, oh, droids. It's that way that Cameron Mannheim looks at Liz Taylor at the Golden Globes. Oh, that Liz. The next arc was interesting. Uh, There were certainly things I liked about it, but I really, really don't feel like it needed to be four episodes, and frankly, that's part of why we are covering it among these other arcs. Starting with Season 4, Episode 7, Darkness on Umbara, this four-part arc was written by Matt Michnevets, who was the writer of the Tarkin Citadel arc from Season 3 and will return for the Bad Batch arc in Season 7. This first episode was directed by Stuart Lee. Um, I mean, you can tell pretty much from the moment you meet him that Krell is evil. Not only is Krell evil from, like, the second you meet him, I also kept being like, is he, like, okay, so if the calamari are calamari, is he, like, that kind of fish? A Krell? Oh, that's a Krell. Got it, got it, got it. But I also found this episode to be intentionally thin on plot. Like, truly, it had to be. Because the point of this was the devastation and casualties of war. This episode was not meant to build any up. This episode was meant to reinforce the idea that to the Jedi in many ways, as well as to a great portion of the Republic, the clone army is a dispendable tool meant to win them the day from the Separatists. They're, and it's so much about ownership, which is why I found a shit ton of the slavery stuff at the end so disingenuous, but the Republic doesn't seem to be willing to let the Separatists leave. Now, don't get me wrong, the Separatists are violent, but a good portion of the Republic doesn't seem to be against the Separatists' violence, but rather their ideological desire to separate in which case it becomes about the republic and its desire for ownership of the galaxy treating the clones as objects then reinforces the idea that the republic has some like karen brad entitlement issues and a lot of that comes across in a question i had from the beginning of this arc which is i didn't even understand why they needed mbara in the first place they probably mentioned it like once toward the beginning but because that's not the focus of the arc they never mention it again because that's just something the Clone Wars loves to do, but the planet of Umbara seems like a fucking nightmare. It's always dark, there's monsters all over the place, but apparently it was an exporter of Dunium, a metal utilized in the construction of starships. Umbara, additionally, was a planet in the expansion region within the occluding Ghost Nebula, and as such was cut off from the rest of the galaxy, which resulted in the development of advanced technologies that far exceeded the galactic standard by the native Umbarans. So that's why all the ships look like crazy weird and different and their energy weapons are wild. So like, okay, I I better understand the tactical advantage but I feel like they only said the tactical advantage once and then spent way much more time just focusing on Krell being a bastard. I loved the look of Troll Market essentially, which is what I thought this planet looked like. I think the highlight for me that maybe said that Krell could be cool, like the one moment where I was like, oh, maybe he's gonna overcome all of this douchery was when the bomb went off near him and he didn't flinch at all. I thought it was going to be that he was just a hardened, broken soldier as of the second episode. So, in this first episode, I just kept thinking, alright, maybe it'll go somewhere, and in the second episode I had that glimmer of hope, but yeah, this was just 22 minutes of Krell as a bastard. 
The second episode has a really interesting distinction. However, season four, episode eight, The General, was directed by Walter Murch, who is a renowned film editor and sound mixer. He's been nominated for a ton of Oscars and won for Apocalypse Now and The English Patient. He co-wrote the screenplay of THX 1138 with George Lucas, and he co-wrote his directorial debut, Return to Oz, in 1985. After that movie flop, he never directed again until the second episode of this arc, The General. That's a really cool second chance kind of story. It's, you know, hard. It's so hard when you put effort into any piece of art that people kind of hate. So, like, you never can imagine what it's like when you are involved in a production that has thousands of jobs on the line. And it's really kind of amazing that Star Wars was able to coax someone back out of retirement. And I think he did a really amazing job. I made a commentary that I felt like this episode out of nowhere became Mr. Clone's wild ride. But, you know, it's just that I felt the silliness landed a little too silly in juxtaposition with everything going on with Krell. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy the levity, but there needed to be much more balance to it considering the next episode, season four, episode nine, Plan of Descent, directed by Kyle Dunleavy, where we lost Hard Case. I definitely agree with you about the second episode's humor. We are uh, decrypting the alien hardware. Really doesn't do it for me. The clones, as noble brave men is an important element of this story and a huge part of why it's the clone wars the clones lose more than anyone else and the droids work to humanize the clones in a lot of ways and so we're meant to be much more emotionally involved and hard cases sacrifice is this important culmination of the arc and the fact that it results in a court martialing for fives and jesse is really kind of a low note for me i love rex being defensive of his men and you know the introduction of dogma being like no 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 shoot 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 great great he's convinced it's an Ozzy Osbourne record but I found again heavy hand real heavy handed especially at the end when dogma does and his name is dogma so of course he believes the hardest <sighs> yeah everything pretty much ramps up going into season 4 episode 10 Carnage of Krell directed by Kyle Dunleavy which you know is basically a mini preview of the reveal of Emperor Palpatine right down to him literally quoting a Palpatine line saying it's treason then something I thought was really fascinating that I had not noticed until doing my research was this whole arc featured very few voice actors and in fact this episode specifically only has three voice performers in it Tom Kane as the narrator Dave Fenoy as Pong Krell and Dee Bradley Baker as the clone troopers which I really want to give it up to D. Bradley Baker just always but especially in arcs like this where he had to take so much on himself the reason there's so few voice actors is because he voiced like a dozen people in this episode and he worked so hard to put distinctive personality and inflection to all of his different clone troopers and pretty consistently knocks it out of the park. Dogma's passionate wail after he executes Krell is a devastating and unique tone from the other characters like it really is impactful how hard he works to define each character uniquely on a side note the adorable star wars concept artist chris glenn created an entire umbaran alphabet for this episode and for the background stuff and it is very pretty 
If you thought an arc that was teaching us that clones are people was rough, then boy are you in for something even... <sighs> the final arc we will be discussing is a three-parter written by returning writer Henry Gilroy for his final episodes, adapting his six-part comic book arc, Slaves of the Republic, from September 2008 to May 2009, starting here with Season 4, Episode 11, Kidnapped, directed by Kyle Dunleavy. I love that Star Wars is so connected to its expansion universe and it loves to draw from its comics and its novels to create other work. That's something I've loved about the Alien universe with their number of audio dramas and novels and comics that they're working so desperately hard to make fluid with canon because I feel like the three words that turn people off the hardest are out of continuity. So I really love how hard they work to tie these things back in and knowing that the same writer adapted his own work kind of makes me care about it more in a weird way. Not like that's an important thing to me but it's a nice touch this arc really hit home for me that Ahsoka and Anakin are becoming broken by war they are becoming angrier edgier pushier more passionate in the ways they're not supposed to be and it's contrasted by these moments of incredible severity and coldness that remind me of the other Jedi this arc did a lot for me for their journey and I found myself more in love with Ahsoka than ever before even though she's kind of sidelined in her own people's arc I found the It's Ahsoka's People thing a little confusing. Ahsoka, much like Shakti, is from the actual Togruta homeworld, Shili. The planet Kiros is basically a hippie colony of about 50,000 of her species. So it's her people, but she's not from this place. I don't know how well she even knows any of these people. Probably a little bit in that way that Star Wars characters just always fucking know each other, but she's not from here. She doesn't even go here. I appreciate giving us that background. I don't think I picked all of that up from the episode, so if you hadn't filled me in on that, I would have been in the dark. And I specifically looked it up because I felt the same way that you had, where it seemed that they were giving Anakin way too much focus in a story that felt like it should have been about Ahsoka. And by the end of the arc, I felt that things were at least a little more even than I feared they wouldn't be. They didn't focus too much on Anakin or too little on Ahsoka. Ahsoka, and frankly enough of the story was balanced that I was okay with that aspect of it at least. I very much agree. I was sort of thrown by Dinar being so strong. It being contextualized that Obi-Wan was taking some hits later on really helped, but I thought Dinar was actually kind of like a really interesting, attractive aesthetic design, and I enjoyed Obi-Wan feigning shock. Like, everything about this was the Obi-Wan I love. I feel like contributor to the show, Steven, would definitely be in on this with me. Sassy faking your shit out, Obi-Wan is the best. And I was really glad that it was mostly a fake out. I felt that Dinar was hitting them way too hard and that Obi-Wan was taking it a bit too much. So the fact that it turned out to be a fake out was a relief. But, you know, then they get captured and stuff. And, like, Obi's all sad and doesn't do much. Well, the part that cracked me up was when Obi was like, I've got all your bombs. And Dinar was like, I still have one. And the droid was like, no, master, how could you do this to me? No. And it just cracks me up. I love that exchange, the three of them. The droid is, like, actually hurt, but it's in that droid voice. So he's like, no. I don't find droids struggling with their own <laughs> mortality as funny as other people and like it's just because who programmed that in 
I, I don't I don't I don't understand. I don't understand the joke, I guess. Do droids learn by watching around them? <sighs> I don't know. Now I, I did not love the two parter after this as much as I loved this episode, and it might be because I thought the Zen I thought the Zygarian Queen was uh, the worst thing ever. Oh, but I learned such a fun fact about her. Queen Miraj Sintel of Zygeria was played by Rajia Baroudi, who, outside of Star Wars, is perhaps best known for playing Delphine, the white alien ranger in Mighty Morphin Alien Rangers. That is a fun little Aquatar surprise. Right. Man, I did not see that. That's that's almost as shocking as de-aging the rangers over and over. Where's Billy? Is he here? I'm Billy! No, that's Melrose Place. Black Billy. Billy back. Billy, do you want to live maliciously? Okay, fine. Last two part. So this episode, season four, episode 12, which is named for the arc it is based on, Slaves of the Republic, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. I, I was just, I was really, f- <sighs> look, I understand that we love making references to Star Wars in Star Wars. It's just this Ouroboros of quotes just swallowing their own tail. But to so vividly mirror a scene from episode 6, like the moment that Anakin and Obi-Wan handed their lightsabers over to R2, I was like, oh, okay, that's going to be a thing. That's just like how R2 was holding Luke's lightsaber in Return of the Jedi. But I didn't fully expect Anakin to give the same salute as his son to signal for his lightsaber like come on come on and you know it's one thing when out of nowhere mary Catherine gallagher shows up in an snl sketch or the church lady shows up these things happen and it's cute but imagine an snl sketch that starts with two wild and crazy guys and then the next minute the night at the roxbury guys walk in followed by the cast of deep house dish and then the sketch is over have a good day that's sometimes what it does feel like with all of the references packed in it doesn't take two episodes of television to convince me that trying to revive a long dead slave trade is wrong i don't think there should be any version of siding with the Zangarians. I don't think there's anything that makes me think it's even 1% okay. I kind of didn't mind Anakin force choking her. And when she was like, you keep misbehaving and it will be bad. And I was like, I mean, she can survive a lot of torture, you know? The final episode of this arc that did not need to be three episodes, season four, episode 13, Escape from Cadavo, directed by Danny Keller. You know, from the very beginning, when I saw the slave master riding around on his giant throne sled i really had to ask myself is technology actually not advanced enough in the star wars universe that you'd even need slaves can't droids just pretty much do everything that a slave would do by a certain point and cheaper and with no fear of death but rather just repair or escape i don't think that a droid really would try to escape unless it's r2d2 i guess and i know that i'm harping but dooku showing up for a battle in this arc was far and away the last thing i needed there were moments that I did like in this when Anakin challenges the queen to think about the fact that even she has a master and she's like no I have no master like I mean there were some good dynamics there that really set a stage to make me think about the metaphor they were trying to sell it wasn't all just ham hand but this was really an arc about Anakin's slavehood and the pieces were much better than the execution itself I think part of my issue with this arc is that it's been about 10 years since it aired and 
And I know who an episode like this was for. The scene where the queen is talking about how the weak are meant to serve the strong and an assassin tries to kill her and the assassin chooses suicide over further subjugation. Like, I understand who all of that was for. It was not for me then. It's not for me now. And I don't feel like any of the audience members they were trying to reach with that based on the reactions that we have seen more recently in the Star Wars fandom actually ended up learning anything from that episode. So I'm not sure who it was for. I'm not sure if it could have just been done differently and perhaps landed better and have made a difference for those audience members. I I don't know. I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, whoever they were trying to impress that message upon, I don't believe it worked, and it ultimately just makes for kind of a clunky episode. I appreciate the attempt at trying to address the fact that there is slavery in this galaxy, and, you know, how can that be allowed? It's a big galaxy. How do we allow it on this planet Earth? I agree that it just doesn't go far enough. This sort of hollow armchair activism of, oh, slavery's bad, and we're telling you, well, no, if you have moral fiber, you already know that slavery's bad. And this episode of television didn't teach you that. I feel like it could have been done better in ways that provided more agency to the characters. The one really cool thing Ahsoka did in this two-parter was she fell faster than gravity. That was badass. Yeah, there was another Yeah, there was another round of Jedi's powers are maybe a little bit too much for me to believe. Anakin picks up the queen and jumps out a window with her and jumps over to a spaceship and like that's a lot. That's that's really a lot. Halfway through season four, knowing that this is ultimately very much the midpoint of the run, I can see the show that I'm going to love more than the show that's come before, which I enjoyed plenty, coming into focus. I can understand how this project, this expansion of the Star Wars universe through a visual medium, is really starting to take its honest shape and its powerful form. But there's still some clunks along the way that they just don't have worked out yet. And we... And until we come back next time to tackle more of Season 4, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kev O'Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me on the Facebook page for this lovely program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. Nico, where can the folks find you? You guys can find me all over this network on X's for Podcast, Mondays and Thursdays, Mondays with modern X-Men over on This Is X. Thursdays are Throwback Thursdays with 80s Mutant Mania. Check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Nico Action, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and guys... Guys, please remember this is an ever-changing world and it's a <clears throat> and guys remember this is an ever-changing world the most important thing you can do is arm yourself with the power of knowledge stay current stay aware and keep on top of events the news is just as important to read as wait that's Compton. guys please remember black lives matter we need to be part of the change and we need to be better allies and protecting people and until we come back keep those kyber crystals lit may the force be with you and also with your force ghost <laughs>